Welcome to the first edition of IMI's Leaders Series podcast, where we will go deeper with leaders on what makes them tick, how they developed their distinct leadership style, and what leading means to them. This week, I am privileged to be joined by Donald O'Donoghue, Managing Partner at Sanderson and President of the National Recruitment Federation. Donal is an alumnus of IMI's Masters in Management practice, from which he graduated with a first-class honours with distinction. I am also delighted to be joined by Kerry Fleming, Associate Dean at Ashridge Executive Education and an Associate Faculty Member at the IMI. We started the conversation with Donal by asking about his early career as a recruitment consultant and how that shaped the path forward for him. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, both Kerry and Donal. How are you both doing today? Very good, David. Thanks for having me. Likewise, Dave. Delighted to be here. Great. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation. And uh, Donal, I suppose, let's start off with, um, you know, going back a little bit. Can you talk a bit just first about where your career started, working as a recruitment consultant, how you've evolved and grown in the intervening years, both personally and professionally? That'd be very interesting to, to start off with. Sure. Well, I guess the career started about 25 years ago. And um, so I started as a IT recruiter back in the 90s, uh, mid 90s. Um, so it was the Celtic Tiger era, the end of mass uh, immigration. And I remember feeling that it was you know, a good opportunity to be part of something because it was that generation where people that wanted to build a career could do it in, in Ireland for the first time. A lot of the US tech companies were here. And I was probably the last generation to start in the business that I'm in, you know, recruiting without email, without job boards, without LinkedIn. So it was very much about relationship management, developing a very good, loyal uh, group of clients and a good bunch of candidates that you could really represent. So, yeah, it was definitely uh, an interesting time to start. Uh, Spent the first four or five years trying to get good at the job and then moved into a leadership role uh, when I was about 27 years of age. Uh, managing a team and, uh, and and so on. So without management training as such, so very much learning on the job. That's fascinating, especially uh, leading at such a young age. Um, that's that's um, something that was kind of thrust upon you, but obviously you, you kind of um, took it on and, you know, went on your career, uh, you know, having that great experience. Yeah, it was definitely because it's that type of business, you know, the recruitment role is a commercial role, recruiters are fee earners so it's the type of business that if you if you you know get good at the fundamentals of the job you tend to gravitate towards a leadership position Um, and I was lucky there was probably three formative things that happened in that early career Uh, the first was in 1997 when I was part of the team at the Marlborough Group and Marlborough was the first Irish recruitment company to go public so in 1997 we floated on the Dublin and London Stock Exchange and I think I was 22 or 23 years of age at the time so I certainly wasn't leading the M&A deals or anything at that stage but I remember uh, you know what it does it creates the sense of what's possible and um, you know it was a very young company the chief executive was 36 years of age at the time the leadership team the recruiters were all in our you know 20s and 30s and we built a business that had revenues of 150 or 160 million pounds pre-tax profits of about six million and you know a team with 300 people across eight offices and had grown both organically and then through acquisition into the UK so there were definitely some kind of key things early on that when you're part of an organization that has got that growth ambition that shows you what's possible yeah it's that growth mindset and I suppose um 
that that's it's fascinating to kind of look at the accelerated um sort of leadership role you had at, at, at that kind of early stage in career and i suppose just looking through your cv you've been you know many many different places organizations how how did the variety of experience across you know different companies help you form the the leader that you are today well, I think you take something from uh, every leader that you work with. And I certainly was fortunate to work with some really good people. And I think when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, it allows you to, I think you're constantly thinking, you know, okay, when I have my own business, I'll keep this, you know, I'll do more of that and I'll do less of that. Uh, and I think you you look to the traits and the style and the leadership style of people that you gravitate towards and that you respect. But I suppose I was fortunate, you know, I worked for startups, for scale-ups, and I also uh, worked for a, a NASDAQ quoted global business before I had the opportunity to, to go into business with the, the owners of Sanderson in the UK, and we set up the Irish subsidiary. So I think having seen uh, the ability to work in an agile organization and keeping the best of that, and having seen some of the frustrations that can happen when you work in an organization that is, uh, you know, very tall in structure and bureaucratic and slow to make decisions. I suppose it, it kind of formed my view on leadership and my view on building a business in terms of being able to retain the good and the agility while scaling a business and, and trying to avoid some of those traps around bureaucracy and, and slow decision making. Um, I just want to come in there. I'm smiling when I hear you say, Donal, that, you know, you talked about the entrepreneurial mindset and you use the phrase when I have my own business. So like there sounds like it was an inevitability that you were going to set up a business. You were not going to work for people for the rest of your life, even as a young professional. Well, I set up my first business as I set up when I was in uh, secondary school. And so the, the entrepreneurial mindset was always there. And I, you know, my, my oldest sister would always say, you know, I was constantly doing deals and selling things. You know, if I, if I bought a bike, I'd add something to it and sell it and buy a better bike. So there was always that kind of entrepreneurial mindset. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was never in question, uh, but it does take a certain amount of courage. And I think, um, you, you know, you need to be quite fearless uh, to be an entrepreneur. And I think you've got to balance that as well with the competing demands that you have in, in life. So for me, I had spent you know, almost 20 years working in other people's businesses. And I built a career that was, you know, developing and uh, I built some skills. But I think the pattern of failure, the point that you get to when you're entrepreneurial and you're working in somebody else's business, particularly if it's an owner-managed type of organization, is that eventually you'll get to a point where there's a difference of opinion. And as an entrepreneur, that can be uh, very stifling and frustrating. So, for me, the ultimate situation was in 2015 when I was introduced to uh, the owners of Sanderson in the UK. Um, Sanderson is a fantastic business that at that stage had revenues of about 200 million pounds and had maybe five or six offices in the UK. They were in, uh, interested in entering the Irish market. Uh, I was at a stage where I was ready to set up my own business and my colleagues uh, from a, a former company were interested in doing something similar. And the timing was really good. 
we set up the Irish subsidiary. The majority shareholder is the UK entity, but the Irish leadership team and myself have a significant shareholding in the business. And that really gave us the best of both worlds. We had the scale of that kind of corporate organization with a blue chip client base, but we had the agility to, uh, you know, to lead the strategy in Ireland and to, to localize it for the Irish market. And it, it has been a model then that we've used to scale Sanderson internationally. Wow, that sounds so interesting. And then I guess my next question, which is related to, to why we're looking at uh, and speaking to you today as an alumni of the MSc in Management Practice or the MPP as it's called, what then led you to figuring that you needed to do something such as the MPP programme at that point? Because you were in quite a, you were thrust in in 2015 to quite a busy um, and you know a very rapid kind of growth phase setting up in Ireland doing all of that, what attracted you then to the MPP, doing the MPP? I think it's a little bit like David mentioned a minute ago, when you talk about the growth mindset, um, you know, we had some, we had a great organization that we were part of, but I was looking for new answers to new questions. And I think in the, in the business environment today, the pace of change is, is, you know, it's quicker than it's ever been before. So I think from my perspective, I was aware uh, of my style, of my leadership style. I was aware of a desire to improve and to develop, but I, I was looking for a program uh, that was academic in nature, but practical in application. So I was looking for something that um, I suppose had the relevance and rigor of a program that you could um, learn something and bring it immediately back to the business and test it and trial it in real time. So it was that practical uh, and research-based element of the MPP that really resonated with me. And actually what happened was quite interesting. So I was working, uh, we were doing a recruitment assignment for a, a US multinational that had entered the Irish market. And the person that ended up as MD of that business was also an alumni of the MPP and we were chatting and we were talking about some of the challenges that uh, both businesses were facing and our ambitions to scale uh, and he talked to me about his experience on the MPP program and introduced me to the former program director and um, yeah so that's that, that's how I heard of it it was through an alumni relationship through somebody that uh, that I respected that was scaling uh, an, inter an international business and the rest as they say is history. <laughs> Uh, first class honours with distinction history I can see here from your from your um uh your transcript so excellent really good thank you yeah um, yeah Sorry. certainly yeah very very valuable very valuable program and uh and certainly I know it's such a cliche to say it's a journey but it certainly was a journey for myself and for the other participants uh and they were a great support and they continue to be a great support even you know a few years after the program has ended for our cohort uh, we're still in touch the whatsapp group is still pinging with messages of support and encouragement uh, as people kind of are moving on with their businesses and their careers that's great to hear really good to hear Donna, I'm interested in digging in a bit more on uh, something you just mentioned in terms of you, you came to the IMI with uh, looking for new answers to new questions. And you talk about that relevance and rigor, which really kind of rings, rings true. Um, so I'm interested to find out how quickly were you able to, uh, for lack of a better term, connect the dots in Sanderson with the learnings that you took from the IMI and the material that the program was covering? It, it was very, it was almost instantaneous because I think 
what was really relevant about the program was that we were researching relative to our own industry. So if there was a literature review or a piece of research and um, we would, you know, in our cohort, we had people from retail banking, from tech companies, from the health service, from SME businesses and professional services. So I suppose the relevance piece comes into it where you think, you know, if you're on a more traditional program, you know, you may be doing case studies about um, challenges in a variety of different businesses. Whereas with the MPP, it allowed us to really get deep into research in our own sectors and then cross-reference that with other uh, sources. And the I think what was really valuable as well is the action research methodology. It allows you to take something from the program into your business and test it in real time. So, you know, you're implementing change and then through action research, you're a researcher but you're also a participant. So you're kind of working in these iterative loops or iterative cycles where you make a change, you check you know, for has the change embedded, has it been successful? And it's that kind of ability to then take what you've implemented and bring it back to the cohort. And we could you know, discuss it in a very safe environment, what was working, what wasn't working. So I think that's the relevance and the rigor kind of mixed together. Um, and that that was definitely one of the early benefits. So that that happens almost immediately on the programme. And that's something it's interesting you say that, because when when people enter the programme often or any programme, they when people embark on doing a master's and they're working full time, there can be a kind of a separation of doing. So it's like, you you know, you hear kind of conversations like I'm really busy at work and I, I, I need to do this assignment. And, and we always talk about the fact that this isn't an either or, you know, this assignment is to actually help you so solve some of your work issues. So this action, this, this kind of mindset of it being action research, where you don't feel you're doing the master's at the weekend and you're doing the day job uh, during the week. Um, and that's a kind of a shift in mindset that clearly happened very quickly for you, Donald. Um, and it can be a struggle for some people, but the moment it clicks, it's a very powerful process then that just takes off of its own accord. And um, people are often quite amazed at the speed of how much the behavioral change happens or how people respond to them very different as leaders um, or how they see things, how they actually can kind of see things that maybe they hadn't thought about before in a global context, you know? Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. So it's interesting to hear that it happened very fast for you. And it happened, I would say it happened very quickly for the whole cohort. And I think what's really interesting about the MPP program is that because the people uh, on the program tend to be senior business leaders who can implement change in an organization, there's a real maturity there. Mm -hmm. And I think when you have that desire to really uh, improve or to learn or to re-engage with, with learning, like for me, it had probably been eight or nine years since I had done any kind of higher education uh, or maybe even more. And um, I think the... What's good about the program is that there's a logical sequence to, to how the modules are laid out. So even though there are assignments and you're researching and you're writing, it's all logically bringing you towards, um, you know, that uh, either your thesis proposal or the, the thesis or dissertation at the end of the of the program. So it's not assignments for assignment's sake. There's a there's a logic and, a, and it's building to ultimately to something. So the work mm -hmm. that you do throughout the two years, you know, is all valuable. 
Absolutely. And Donna, I, I wanted to actually ask you in terms of um, maybe emerging from the MPP, did you on a personal level um, have any changes in maybe in your style, in your outlook, in your mindset? Um, Kerry brought up the behavioral change point there. Was there any kind of transformation on a personal level for yourself? Yeah, I think that was probably the most surprising piece for me because I didn't expect there to be any. Um, I think naively going into it, I thought, you know, I want to re-engage with this. I want to learn. I want to answer some of these questions that are that are kind of presenting themselves in a changing world. But I didn't expect any kind of personal transformation. Um, it just wasn't something I was looking for or expecting. So the fact that there was a lot of change um, was something that was quite surprising. So Previously, I would have seen myself as quite entrepreneurial and leading based on kind of gut instinct and drive and kind of rallying the troops and being quite gung-ho uh, in nature. And that can get you so far, but that also has its limitations. And I think uh, after the program, I would consider myself now to be more analytical, uh, more considered um, and you know, would definitely work on a with a deeper level of analysis uh, and more rigor. I think the word rigor is something that kind of came up again and again uh, in different conversations on the uh, on the program. So, yeah, I definitely would say it has it has changed me, and it has probably made me um, look to different sources. I think that's the good thing about action research as a methodology. You know, you can look to the uh, academic literature, but you're also looking to other sources, whether it's, you know, uh, research groups or whether it's, you know, research through bringing external experts into the organization. It just broadens your horizons. So I think um, when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, you're always looking towards the horizon and you're always kind of operating on, you know, fast forward and trying to drive on to the next thing. And I think what the program does that's really valuable is it forces you to stop and reflect and say, well, why did we do that? And how did that work? And what could we have done better? And what did we learn from that? And it just, it forces you into a, a bit, to be a bit more reflective, I would say. And just taking that point then more external, um, you know, you're in the business of recruitment, you're, you know, all the time at the cool face of understanding what employers want and what kind of profile of employees, senior employees, what, what is, what is the appetite? What, what type of leadership, what type of behavioral skills are trends have you noticed? You know, are people still looking for the kind of killer mindset, entrepreneurial, you know, go get? Or are they looking for maybe what you described in that kind of more maturing that happened to you during the MPP? What's your sense of it, Donald, in terms of the trends out there? I think it really depends on the context um, you know I think and it's also you know it's very if you look at the life cycle of a business um, and if you look at I'm, I'm thinking now of the Odysseus model uh, which is really really good which looks as an, at an organization that transitions from the entrepreneurial organization to the professional organization there are times when the go-go driven uh, mentality is is very valuable to get a business to a, a certain stage but that type of autocratic and direct dominant leadership style can be, you know, prone to autocracy and 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 uh, being quite it could be quite toxic eventually. So I think organisations need to to transition and change. And I think what's been really interesting in the COVID environment is what we've seen is that trust has become the new currency, and 
in the days gone by, and I would have been guilty of this myself, a lot of managers managed through presenteeism. So we looked at the visual cues, you know, mm -hmm. who showed up early to the office, who worked through lunch or just grabbed a sandwich at their desk, who stayed late. And we looked at these visual cues and felt comfort that people were working hard. And if we couldn't see somebody working, maybe we were skeptical or, or questioned how hard they were working. And I think now managers have had to change their thinking to managing through outcome and by giving trust. And what has been overwhelming from what we've seen both in our own organization and with our clients, is that people have risen to that level of trust and productivity has been very good. So I think the, the management and leader skills uh, are evolving and trust is the new currency. That's really fascinating. Uh, Donald, thanks for sharing that. It's very, very interesting you say that because uh, David, David and I were working on a, a podcast there recently. We were talking about utter burnout from employees during the COVID period, you know, this kind of emergency um, scenario that that happened in, in March 2020 and that people couldn't keep going at that pace. So it's really nice to hear um, that something has shifted in that whole notion of trust because you are dealing with knowledge workers, you know, um, and uh, ultimately I think everybody shows up at work to do a good job. Everyone joins their career to do well. It's It's, I always say that, if people ever present to me that there are people who are disengaged at work, I always ask the question, what's happened along the way? What, what has broken down for them? Who has broken that trust? So it's really nice to hear that. Mm, and it's a two way street, of course, yeah. as well, you know, and you can't as an organization or as a leader, you can't expect to be trusted by your people if you're not prepared to trust. Mm, really nice. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's that transparency and trust piece. Um, it's 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 a fascinating, you know, just looking at the employee-employer paradigm, how that shifted in the pandemic and how it's going to continue to shift. That's something that is is really fascinating to track. Um, Donald, I'm just uh, my next question actually uh, goes back to the MPP, and I'm I'm interested to to hear just in terms of your own kind of mental processing, maybe on a daily basis, um, when you're making key decisions, for example, or you know, kind of going about your day to day, is there it's kind of a elements of what you covered in the program still kind of, you know, say sort of come back to you almost like it catches you before you make a decision. You say, Oh, hang on, maybe I should consider this. Is that something that would be kind of embedded into your, into your process at this point? Yeah, there's definitely a number of things that, that I think it's about habit forming. And um, one of the things that was really interesting, um, you know, as part of the thesis, uh, some of the, some of the action research was actually going back to the times where we had, you know, elements of, of the business that weren't successful and analyzing the reasons for failures and analyzing the reasons for, for challenges. And one of the things that was really interesting was we started to look at the concept of a decision matrix. So if there was a business unit or something that hadn't been successful, you know, analyzing the, the different constituent elements and then cross-referencing that with successful uh, iterations of a similar business. Um, and that is something that uh, I think is really useful for people who are entrepreneurial, who can tend to make decisions based on gut instinct and feel, um, which, as I said, it can get you so far, but bringing that rigor in to actually think, you know, before we commit to this or before we make a decision, let's look at this in a slightly more analytical way. So I think uh, that side is certainly interesting and valuable and that has stayed with me. And the desire to look at, you know, 
literature and the desire to actually make sure that decisions are informed with um, with with plenty of different sources uh, of information before kind of moving to the decision. I think that rigor is something that's definitely stayed with me. And then the other thing that's really valuable about the program, and um, it might sound cliched, but it's the cohort. So as I said, at our group, we had people from, um, you know, across uh, financial services, technology, the health sector, and so on. And those different views uh, and people who had very different personality styles and different histories, getting insight and getting, um, you know, advice from leaders from different sectors who are from a very different back background to your own. Uh, that's really refreshing. And that's something as the alumni that uh, Kerry referred to, that's a, something of value that stays with you. So those people are still available, as are the tutors. The tutors are absolutely fantastic as well. And, you know, what's interesting as you move through the programme and beyond the programme, they all become part of your network. And, and thankfully, we have opportunities to see each other and to, to do business together from time to time in a variety of different ways. And that's valuable as well. That sounds really good. And we're, we'll be looking forward to welcoming you back to the, the current um, MPP programme, Donal, um, to convey some more of that wisdom and experience uh, that you just you talked about um, uh, in the last in the last while. So we look forward to that. Me too. Definitely something to something to look forward to when all these restrictions ease and uh, whether it's virtual or it's in person, it's something I'd very much like to do. Well, a lot of ground covered today by both Donal and Kerry, and I want to recognize both of their contributions to what was the first episode of the Leaders Series podcast that we're kicking off here at IMI, with plenty more episodes to come down the line. If you want to find out more about the Masters in Management practice, of course, you can go to www.imi.ie. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and I hope to see you again soon.